Hey everybody, since we are either starting a new series or reading a standalone book, I am jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal, and we are not reading any books that depict real people as their characters in any way or are based on historical events. Second rule is that we are judging everything off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, or the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come from personal experience, not professional training. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all listeners, so please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. This week on Books That Burn, we are talking about Supernaturalist, a standalone book about an orphan who, after a near-death experience, learns about the creatures that surround him and how to fight them. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. Welcome to Books That Burn. <laughs> so today, uh, we are reading The Supernaturalist by Eowyn Colfer, who I think is a little bit better known for the Artemis Fowl series, mm -hmm. but uh, we really like this standalone book of his. It is The Supernaturalist, and ready to get into our factions? Yeah. You want to do it or you want me to? I'll take it. Okay. So, for factions, we have the orphans in the Clarissa Frayne Institute for Parentally Challenged Boys. We have the Supernaturalists, Stefan, Mona, Ditto, and then eventually Cosmo. We have uh, Professor Faustino. We have miscellaneous guards with uh, cellophane guns. We have paralegals and attorneys. We have the creatures, also known as Unspec 4. We have the people who live outside the city. And then several racing gangs. Our minor character spotlight today is a character who actually doesn't make it super far into the book. He's dead by like less than 20 pages in, I think, at least in my copy. It's very short. Ziploc. So Ziploc is the closest thing that our main character has to a best friend. And I'm phrasing it that way because the, the boys at the Institute, who both Ziploc and Cosmo, our main character, are, are part of that group. They are highly, highly discouraged from having any connections with each other at all. But Cosmo really does care about Ziploc as a person and considers him his best friend and actually talks to him about things. And Well, I would like to. Not that they weren't friends. No, but he I would says that. Okay, but also, I think it's important to mention the reason that they're around each other all the time is that they are handcuffed buddies. They are in that moment. It sounds like it's usually them. Oh, but I I read yeah. that as as not. I read that as it's random. They are they are quote unquote neighbors in their pipe. Yeah, and when Ziploc dies, they are handcuffed together, and that's why Cosmo gets an opportunity to escape because oh, yeah. he didn't die. Oh yeah, when but they both fell off the roof. 
Uh, okay, it's, I mean, we, we don't I have have been to... under the working assumption that they usually were together, but it doesn't really matter for this particular thing. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. There's, there's things that make me think it's, it's definitely all the time, but it's, we're, we're going to get into our thing and not worry about that. We can talk yeah. about it later if we want to. So with Ziploc, we are going to kind of note here that a lot of the things, not all, but a lot of the things we're going to talk about with Ziploc also happened to Cosmo, but we are specifically focusing on Ziploc and how it affected this particular care. So the boys at the Institute had, as far as we can tell, pretty much every type of abuse that was not sexual. They were physically beaten, they were psychologically isolated and kept as cowed as as possible. They were given food that was potentially going to melt their intestines. Uh, because it was cheap. Like they, uh, they were yelled at and hit and punched and, um, reprimanded for just existing as, as people. There's even a bit where Redwood, the guard, gets told, you know, hey, they tried to escape, make, maybe knock them around a bit, cause then we can test some of the synthetic skin. Yeah. And, and we'll get into them as a test subject. Uh, later with Cosmo, but like they're 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 set up to be injured because it's it, it it they don't care about them not and not only do they not care like Robin said sometimes they even want them to be injured because then they can try out new things and have an excuse to 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 do things to them that might hurt them more and so all of this causes Ziploc specifically to react in a very antagonistic way. Um, he pokes fun at the guards and, and belittles them and calls them out and draws attention to himself in a way that psychologically is very, very stereotypical of somebody who feels like the, the, the abuse is taking away their control, which in this case, it literally is, is taking away his control on even where to walk and where to be. But he... He antagonizes his guards because then he started it <laughs> when he gets in trouble. And there's definitely signs, and specifically Cosmo mentions in the book, that Ziploc usually is is better at knowing when to stop. But right yeah. before they escape, he essentially just pushes it too far and just starts laughing hysterically when it when it clearly is too far. And Cosmo notes that he thinks Ziploc is on the edge of that that psychological breaking point. And also, he's no longer talking about the possibility of them getting adopted. Oh, yeah. Which is something that he had held on to for a lot longer. And to me, there's a clear line in the book. He starts talking about how they're not going to get adopted. Yeah. And then he starts freaking out and lashing out at the guards and just <laughs> it feels like he has a death wish and there's oh totally checked. He, he dies on page 25 so oh, yeah he he definitely he gets to that point where he gives up on the possibility of leaving and basically says eh, i might as well die so either the guards will kill me or <laughs> when there's this when there's this option of of escape cosmo has to basically force him to run away because ziploc was totally ready to just sit there and get killed yeah. Like we said, he doesn't last very long. Um, he actually doesn't die by death by guard. Uh, he gets hit by a lightning electrical generator. Was it? A- I think it was a, I think it was, I think it was a generator. Let me see. 
they okay you called it a lightning generator and i'm like Ele- no uh, i said lightning no. and i said electrical generator <laughs> yeah it was a rooftop generator for a building yeah you can just see he's not like i said he's not in the book very long um and a lot of the setup to how he reacts definitely happens way before the book takes place but even in the short short few pages that he is in there you can see him getting closer and closer and closer to that that suicidal or edge or that psychological edge yeah where reckless where he doesn't care yeah and because he's in such a dangerous situation spending one day feeling very reckless gets him killed yeah well to be fair that was not the thing that killed him but he was definitely if that thing hadn't happened he probably still would have died that day yeah yeah uh unfortunately i think that's for ziploc oh we well, should ziploc talk was about not in the book very long <laughs> i I do feel like with this whole, as as a transition, I feel like we should mention the reason for his name. He, he, it's, it's not the name he was given. No. Uh, the names that they are given are not very original. Um, no. We're going to talk about Cosmo's name. But uh, one time he, what it says is he had talked too much to the wrong person and got the Ziploc from a food baggie super glued over his mouth. Yeah, and he tells that story over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. And and he just talks about it and tra- tells you about how how hard it is to only breathe through your nose for a day. And they'd use boiling water to get it off. Like, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Does boiling water work in real life to get super glue off? I don't know. I don't know either. Don't really want but, to go uh, buy super glue to test it, but... <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think that's unfortunately that's kind of it for ziploc because you know in a uh in a book that's less than 300 pages he's only in it for 25 of them so <laughs> yeah it's not around very long yep um, which is kind of the point so moving on to cosmo first cosmo is our main character he's the he's not the only character we get a perspective from in the book but he it's also written in third person <laughs> We follow him most often. We follow often. him, yeah. So we should take uh-huh. a minute, to, especially leading off of the um, uh-huh. talking about Ziploc as an orphan. Uh, Cosmo's name is Cosmonaut Hill because they found him on <laughs> Cosmonaut, Cosmonaut Hill. Hill. Yeah. Uh, the Institute is not very creative when it names their orphans. Ziploc's name is unusual because it's a nickname. Uh, so, yeah, anyway. and I, I actually think... Let's take a second on that one because I I actually find this very interesting as an author choice because there's there's a large that so so Ian Colfer has managed to give our characters names that distinctly identify them and aren't just number 1 number 2 whatever but also highlight how like like you're saying like how much the Institute is not giving them personalized things. They're literally making them as generic as possible. They're just references to to where they were found or or something else, I would assume. And I just think that that's a really cool, that's a really cool thing that the author did because it, it makes them feel like they're individual names to us as readers. Mm-hmm. And we care about that. We're not just reading a book about number five. Right. And on the, on the topic of of names, especially including like place names, 
noticing people's names this time and realizing like they're using dinars like Mm -hmm. this is set somewhere i don't know like (sighs) somewhere not super far from russia would be my guess like i if i Hmm. had to like just geographically where this is like there's just enough reference to things and like stefan bakshir like this geographically if i had to name a country where i'm like "Mm, this might this might be there i'd be like this might be uzbekistan this might be ukraine it's like somewhere there uh which i thought was it, it was interesting flavor text and background that i didn't pick up on previously okay while we're talking about names yeah so i actually didn't really connect any of any of this book to a real life place but that's mostly because the descriptions of the characters are so varied and so legitimately um i don't know if eclectic is the right word mm-hmm. like co- like cosmos described as being brown hair brown eyes brown skin <laughs> Yeah. And and specifically light brown. So he's not African in origin necessarily, but he is not white. Yeah. Uh Nova is described as being Latina, physical description included. Um so again kind of more darker hair, light brown skin. I don't remember if they if we've given an eye color for her or not. I don't know that did we get his physical description for Stefan? I don't remember. I wasn't paying as much attention to the physical descriptions. I was his I know his body language is described a lot, but I don't remember if we get like an actual like coloring description in any point. But yeah, no, I I I actually hadn't even thought about like, you know, where this this could be like the future version of whatever just because all the people were so varied and I I didn't see it in my head as being one of the countries that I know is more varied like the US. Yeah, I actually find that really interesting because I hadn't picked up on that on that Russian reference at all. I don't again, I don't know if it's specifically Russian, but it's like, okay, we're in this part of the world ish. Like we're not in uh, a lot of books. It's very clearly this is where the US used to be, especially like, oh, yeah, especially American authors in general. Yeah. (laughs) Which I don't know if Ian Colfer is. I don't really feel like doing it right now. I would be shocked if Eowyn Colfer is anything other than Irish, especially given writing out of a spell. Oh, but, that's true. But that's true. Especially when it's very easy to just have your upgraded, your later and t- I feel like we might need to cut the section because it got a little weird. But I just what? I think <laughs> I think it get weird. <laughs> I don't know. It's going on. We haven't talked about Cosmo at all. That's what I okay, mean. let's give. Let's just get back to Cosmo. <laughs> Okay, I was okay. just saying, based on name choices in the book, it's not the U.S. I mainly should have just talked to you about this before the podcast. It's anyway. fine. <laughs> it's fine. All right. I'm actually so, probably going to leave it because I'm curious what our, our listeners will think <laughs> if they've read yeah. this book. Uh, okay. So anyways, getting back to Cosmo. So Cosmo is has this really weird, like, actually, Robin, you go ahead and. Sure. So there's this thing called the paradox of choice, where if you get too many options, that is less useful than having only a couple of options and picking the best one between them. Uh, You might have experienced this if you're trying to, like, pick what movie to watch or where to go out to eat, and it balloons to, like, 10, 15, 20 options, and 
they're they just it just stops helping. Uh, I have trouble with this all the time. Doesn't sound like Nikki does, but so Cosmo has having a very extreme like whiplash example of this because he goes from the institute where his life course is like the uncertainty in his life is will he die or will he be framed for a crime and sent to prison when he turns 18 like yeah. that's that's the choice he's anticipating and he doesn't really have room to be, have preferences about things like even all his daily actions uh like at at night once they're done being test subjects for the day even then, his actions are very, like, shaped and dictated by what were they subjected to that day? <laughs> are they now spending the evening trying to treat chemical burns on their legs? Or do they actually get to relax a little bit because they were just rating music videos generated by AI? Like, what, yeah, what he does in the evening is totally dictated by what horror he had in the day. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have... He doesn't have stuff he likes. He doesn't have anything he does for fun. So then he, it's this just extreme whiplash. Like he goes to, he ends up with this group. Again, he didn't choose to end up with the group, but right. he just kind of goes with them. And they're like, well, what do you want to do? And there's a couple of times where like he's asked what he wants to do. And it's like, well, we're doing this other thing. We're not doing your idea. So. <laughs> Several times he'll get asked what he wants to do, and then it doesn't actually matter, mm -hmm. which is a very frustrating experience, but <laughs> he's not used to it mattering, so... Even even being asked is more courtesy. Even being asked and, and it not actually counting is more courtesy than he's ever been given. Yeah, and then his first unprompted decision is to be self-sacrificial by deciding to go on the spacewalk to... Uh, get the thing done with the satellite and even then it's it had a little bit of a feeling of like inevitability like i don't know if they were waiting for him to volunteer because they protested but narratively they were waiting for him to volunteer because stefan was like i'm gonna go dang it the suit isn't the right size <laughs> mona and mona's like a no can't i don't remember what the reason why she couldn't and then ditto is like no, because <laughs> I will not. Sure, I would fit. I will not go. I don't care. Yeah. And then it has this kind of, well, our entire mission is going to be scrapped and everything will be ruined. Or. Or. And then Cosmo volunteers. So even then, he doesn't volunteer to do this thing until all the options other than him have been taken away. And. Yeah. I think it's interesting that the choice is a binary choice at that point. Is he going to volunteer or is, or is their mission going to fail? So even the one choice that he makes is only after it's reduced to two options. Because he doesn't have any... And, and it's important that one of those options is failure. Right. It's, it's not it's... just a binary choice. It's a me or no one's self-sacrificial binary choice, which is right. more pressure on him to make one option than the other. It's not just right. that he's narrowed it down to two movies, it's that one of those movies will kill him. <laughs> and you know, and then the other movie gets kind of... It's more, it's more like, so we can watch a movie, or we can sit outside and stare at our shoelaces, and you have to do that. 
Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> you can do something that we want to get done or. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's just, it's so, it's, it's really, it's really interesting because there's so many moments. If you go through this book and you look for all of the times that he didn't have an option. It's, yeah. It's every time. It's constantly. And it's every time, it, even after he's been quote unquote rescued. Yeah. And, and to be fair, some of the, a lot of those are a safety issue. If he doesn't follow what they're asking him to do, they will all get caught and die. There is that. And but also it's still, like, it still contributes psychologically to that feeling of just, there is no option and you just have and, to do what you're told. And when Ditto pretends that he couldn't lay a bridge in his canister without a, was out of gas and everybody's like, oh yeah, mine's out too. Oh, Cosmo, yeah. you've got to drop a bridge. Yeah. So he's got to do this like scary thing with high pressure that he's never done before. And they know if he messes up, Ditto has another canister. Right. But he doesn't know. Right. Well, that one I almost don't even see as a choice option thing. Well, I think it is because uh, he, you know, it's a scary thing. He didn't know how to do. What if he shot the ladder wrong and the whole thing drags him over the edge? Like, there's, he, he doesn't get someone telling him the framing for you must do this, there are no alternatives, and then it turns out there was an alternative that didn't involve him, and they just didn't tell him. That is someone controlling his options, even if do I or do I not lay a bridge is not a big deal. I'm more looking at the setting where his choice is taken away. See, I was thinking more of that as like a a psychological test of, hey, are you going to crack under this pressure or can you handle things that could get us killed? But you're right. That is also. Yeah. It is like, also it a is. control and, thing. Yeah. I'm, and, you but know, it I don't think be. it was a it's, bad thing to really, do There's a really a def- Yeah. There wasn't really like an, an alternative to doing that because they kind of had to know. It was either it was either that or lock him up in their hut and never let him leave. They need to know if, if Ditto had really been out of gas, mm-hmm. would they have been able to trust him to lay a bridge? Right. But they were like, yeah, we don't have time to switch canisters. Like, it's gotta be you. <laughs> yeah. Like, they they definitely set it up um, to reduce his choices. Yeah. They had a plot important reason. Right. The psychological effect, though, is... is I, I, I see what you're saying. It's still, it's still the same. Yeah. So, our last final topic uh, is Cosmos with regard to... Um, the psychological and physical abuse that he underwent in the Institute, specifically stemming from the Institute using the orphans as test subjects for products. And we kind of alluded to this earlier. So those, those test subjects can be all the way from dangerous medical treatments to just watching music videos and saying which one was better. Um, they're, they're literally being used as disposable test subjects. And I would note that they list, like, a lot of examples of, like, really awful traumatic stuff. And then the only, this is kind of okay, one that they list is that one time that they watched music videos. (laughs) Yeah. So it's definitely not, like, a good thing, bad thing, good thing, bad thing, neutral thing, bad thing. Well, (laughs) I will say, though, with regards to that, it's totally possible that we just get a list that, backstory-wise, we just get a list of bad things because those are the things that stand out to Cosmo. Oh, sure. Um, so it, there might actually be more, it might be more 
balanced than like 99 bad and one okay. However, especially considering that the orphans live past the age of like six. Yeah. But, but you can live with chemical burns. So. On your <laughs> insides, though. Uh, well, they did. And I was referring more to the antiperspirants they tested. I was thinking but, about their toxic food also. Yeah. But yeah. The, no, they, they even. So this is even something where even their rations, their foods are food that were manufactured for the military and then deemed chemically too hazardous to consume. Yeah. But now a lot of them have been manufactured. They're basically meal packs and and they've all been manufactured already. And so the company that made this toxic food substance wants to get rid of them and not lose their profit. And so the orphanage just buys so them just... in bulk and just hands them to the children. And um <clears throat> there's a very real uh consequence where their their literal intestines might melt over time from these this food. I would point out that the that's Cosmo's understanding of it. We don't know how literal that is. That is He's true. Probably using but melt as a colloquial sense. It doesn't make I it mean, better. Cosmo is pretty darn literal everywhere else. I'm inclined just to think that he's he is giving a little. I'm pretty sure that as literal he as he understands will- it. Oh, I'm sure someone told him that the food that he's eating is going to make his organs melt. I'm just saying. Oh no, no, I mean that he. I mean that he has tended to just kind of describe and know the inner the medical interact. The so my evidence for that is his understanding of how to save Nova and the medical chemical. He might not be able to describe biochemically what is happening. He does know the background of the things that they had to do to survive sort of i mean like i don't think when i don't let me i don't think that he would just say my intestines are going to melt eventually if that hadn't happened in front of him because he does not he does not um in any way exaggerate or use euphemisms in in anywhere else in this entire book he's very literal so the meal kits that they're eating are known to cause internal bleeding and yet the Institute feels, still feeds them to them anyway and doesn't care that it's going to kill the orphans. Because it's going to kill some of them. And it's cheap. And then they don't have to pay very much for their food. Yeah. I, I do think it is interesting in a horrific way that the Institute does not account for damage from previous bad products when they're testing new ones. Oh, that's yeah, and mm-hmm. and this is this is just a like I said, it's interesting in a horrific kind of way because it is totally possible that something that they are handing to the kids is more toxic and they don't notice, or is more toxic because of previous damage, or is non toxic and these kids are just dying anyway from the abuse over time, right? And so using these kids as as very irresponsible test subjects, just, I mean, I, I look at that from a, from a logistics point of view, going, kind of saying like, that doesn't seem like it's actually, it's, it's not even a good, quote unquote, smart way to go about this. Here's my suspicion. Is that the kids just it's, die it, too quickly and they don't, it's not a, well, <laughs> an overtime say is, remember, it's not the Institute who cares about the results. The Institute gets money from people paying, from companies oh, paying them to have the Institute test their things. That's the true. The Institute does not care about the result. That's true. That's fair. 
Yeah, so it's not messing up their experiment or something. Yeah, like, as long as they get paid, it's whatever. Yeah. And they're not telling the clients, hey, right. uh... So it's most possible of our children died, and it's because of how we treat them. Like, yeah, and it's, it's possible that the negative side effects we reported from your lotion were actually from the antiperspirants that the kids had to test the day before. We don't know. Someone like, licked not- their fingers, and now they're dead. And it's probably you, because we don't want to take responsibility. Yeah, like no idea. That's um, accurate, but like he. The life expectancy of no sponsors is 15 to 16, and he's already 14. So he's got, like, the random wheel of trauma spun every day. Doesn't know it's going to happen. Yep. No security, no stability. Um, the the creeper slug that hit Nona. So the, the creeper slug that hit Nona, it was, uh, it gave her a, a dangerous fever. Mm-hmm. And so... I mean, he phrases, you know, the kids were sick for weeks, yeah. days or weeks, um, and they figured out a solution, yeah. not the Institute. The Institute did not care yeah. at all. Yeah. there's always going to be more orphans. So this is something purely just as kind of a, a note on how this world is constructed that I, I did not pick up on when I was a teen, but it definitely caught my attention rereading it now. So they had kind of mentioned, uh, like all the no sponsors. Well, everyone who you don't know where they belong, you get DNA typed. Mm-hmm. There's there's a, a a genetic test run to see who you're related to. There's a lot of people that just haven't had anyone else in the system yet. Like a lot. Like there's a lot yeah. of no sponsors, and that to me reads like this is like this whole very terrible system has to be relatively broadly speaking recent mm-hmm. because or how are you gonna get that many kids that just don't have and it's not just don't have someone in the system i mean it is but it's but it's you don't have anyone who's been swabbed before may, may i offer a terrifying alternative the institute needs bodies and just breeds their orphans and then says, well, I couldn't find their parents. No, maybe just, you know, sure, they type them, but if it's not like a rich person. They just pretend they couldn't find anyone. And to be clear, that is not in the text. No, we don't we're know totally, whether we're it's totally the system hypothesizing is, here. We don't know whether it's that the system is new. We don't know whether the Institute just lies because they want more bodies because they're turning through orphans. <laughs> um... Either way, it's pretty horrifying. Yeah. Um, I figure I figure if they have the infrastructure to have buildings that rotate based on the time of day, it's been a little bit, but also if people like travel to and from the city or something. I don't know. And just drop or, their kids off. Yeah, just drop off the kids. Hmm. Yeah, because he was shipped freight class. Oh yeah. That's true. Like his parents didn't want him. Right. Yeah, that is so. true. Yeah, we don't we don't know enough about the mechanics of that whole world building, but it it was interesting that when I was a kid I was like, Oh yeah, this is a lot of people with no parents. Okay, cool. And then reading it again as an adult, I was like, wait a second. You're like, this <laughs> there's is a no way number of people. There's no way that this is that straightforward. There is something else happening to create that. Um Yeah. So Last but not least, let's do our wrap-up and rating. Uh, starting with Ziploc. 
Gratuity rating. Gratuity ratings, yes. So, just a reminder for everybody, because this is a new book or series, uh, our gratuity rating is mild, moderate, severe, backstory, or off-screen. Oh, backstory, backstory. off-screen, mild, moderate, severe. Um, you can, ex- uh, a, a trauma can exist in more than one category at once, but that's what we're kind of working with. So, Ziploc's trauma, I mean, there's, there's definitely, I don't think there's really anything that happens off screen in the context of the book. Um, how he got his name, but I would say, oh, off screen, right, right. I'd say backstory and moderate. Moderate? Or would you say severe? I think all, I think pretty much all the trauma in this book is severe, to be honest. Okay. All right. I don't think there is, I don't think there's really anything that you can point to and be like, oh yeah, that's fine. Because even things that could have been moderate in other contexts, the way they're handled in the book and the way that they build on other things, I think, kicks mm. it up to severe. Yeah. And I would also argue that the depictions of the way this happens, like, the characters might say it very nonchalantly, but, like, there's some pretty, there's some pretty easy to extrapolate visual imagery in all of the trauma and the horror that... Where even if the characters aren't making it feel more traumatic, if you are a, a visual person at all, it's 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 definitely at severe levels. Yeah. So moving on to Cosmo with his paradox of choice, again, I would argue that this is pretty pretty well, I'm actually gonna leave this up to what do you think? Do you think this is severe or moderate? Because I I read this, I think if you're aware of it, it's severe. I'd say- I think if you so, if you just read again, it as a child and you're not really aware of it, it's maybe r- moderate. Remember, where uh, something could be like really bad, but the way it's handled in the book, like if a really awful event is handled as backstory, it's backstory. Um, and I, right. I think that I think that the paradox of choice, I think that actually is is mild because just him like. <sighs> I don't know how like how like big of a thing you can have of oh they didn't list five options for him. But it's like, not just that. I know I, I know we were talking about it in the context of paradox of choice but also like this is him not having control over anything in his life. Mhm. Let's say maybe moderate. I wouldn't go to severe. Okay. I don't think it's mild. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to say moderate and that's also backstory. Because yeah, it's, it's his entire life. Okay. Cosmo is a test subject. This is severe. We get some pretty almost graphic uh, depictions of different things that have happened to him, either in backstory in his memory or um, and And even once he gets time. out, it constantly is like, oh, yep, sure is my third time being shrink-wrapped. Yeah. I know to expand my chest before the cellophane slug hits. Like yep. there's he there's he's still actively he's actively um kind of like he, he he's he's in dialogue with all this previous stuff that happened. Right. Where it's like, oh, this is coming up, gotta deal with that. Alright, moving on to our next category. Uh again as a reminder, this is how how I guess necessary or why this trauma is in the story. So our three three options are is it integral to the plot? Is it interchangeable with something else of a similar nature? Or is it kind of irrelevant to the story and, and the plot? So, so Ziploc 
I'd go with interchangeable because yeah, it it didn't have to be this, but this is suitable. And it didn't have to be him. True. Also. So I, I agree. I, I do think, though, and I know that you're saying interchangeable probably for this reason, but I do just want to point out, I don't think it's irrelevant specifically. Oh, no. Of course um, not. Just because I think that having the perspective of the kid that isn't Cosmo and having this thing happen to more than one person and you seeing the difference in how it affects different kids, I think that that is absolutely crucial in setting up the horrific nature of this this process that they're caught in. Yeah. You could have mostly had the same book if we just had stuff happen to Cosmo if he didn't have a handcuff partner. And I mean, he- you ki- you could... The, yeah, I, I say it partly because <laughs> I, it would be mostly the same book. Mostly, yeah. But I part of why I point out that yeah, you could is because once he's been with the supernaturalists for like twenty pages, we're not <sighs> talking about Ziploc at all anymore. Mm, that's true. He was he was foundational, but you could have used a different foundation. Yes, without. He could have had a different jumping off point without it hurting the story. So I'd right. definitely go with interchangeable. Paradox of choice for Cosmo. I think it's integral to the plot. It's more of a side effect of the plot that was chosen. <laughs> yes. But I think without it, that plot would not structurally have worked. That's why I said Yeah, that's no, why I, I said I'm, agree- I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. I'm agreeing with you. Like, I do think, and I think that that is why. Cosmo is a test subject, so specifically testing out these products, I actually think this is interchangeable. I think yeah. I think there definitely needed to be something to kick the horror level up in the universe as is to really honestly create this world, um, but it didn't have to be that. Right. Because you've, you've got other things that say... Satellite City doesn't care about its people because cities yeah. can't care about things and people who act like they're personifications of a thing that can't care about things also might not care about people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on. So we so now we're going to talk about care. How, was the trauma handled with care, specifically with regards to a reader experience? And again, kind of a broad recap. Uh, our categories are yes enough, not enough, and no. So Ziploc, and this is really where the visceral imagery, and if any, in books really comes into play. So this is, this is one of those books where I feel like, and we've, we've had these, we've had these with specific traumas for other characters in our other, in our first two series, but I really think that like a lot of this is treated with less care on purpose because it the horror is part of the setup. Right, because if you Almost. don't if you don't give any weight to it and you're like, yeah, orphans had a bad life at the institute. Look, come on, let's go like fight let's some creatures. Let's go on a blue adventure. Like, yeah, no, yeah. that doesn't do it. That's not what this is. But that being said, this is not a horror story. No. So I I it's would a argue so story. With reg- <laughs> it's yes. <laughs> horrific but not horror. Um <laughs> You could totally make a horror movie out of this book though. Yeah. Without a lot of effort, just I I would watch that. I, I you would not. <laughs> I would not. Uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> uh. So Ziploc and his his things. I I'm gonna argue that 
this is either enough or not enough. I don't think no care was taken. I think the character was treated with respect by the author. Right. I, I'm going to go with enough. That's my kind of, that's the, the zone I like, I like to say for these where it's like, you're kind of just, this makes me think of the, uh, YouTube video from years ago where this person is being slowly murdered by someone who's just following them and tapping them with a spoon. Um, <laughs> don't know if you saw that one. It's- I remember that. Yeah, and that's what all the stuff with Ziploc feels like. Because it's oh, like, hey, yeah, did you yeah, know it's yeah, bad? Yeah. Did you know it's bad? Did you know it's bad? Did yeah, you know it's yeah, bad? Yeah. And every single, like, instant of it uh-huh. is, like, not a ton. But, but, wait, but it just doesn't stop, and it just keeps happening. <laughs> yeah, Because we, cause we walk in on the last day of an entire life of Ziploc being chased by a madman with a spoon. In yeah. this analogy. Yes. Like, yes. Like, we walk in on the very end when he's at his breaking point. <laughs> and oh. we know we get a little bit of the, we get a little bit of the weight because, right. like, for those 25 pages where they're at the Institute and they, and escaping, like, they aren't even at the Institute for a full 25 pages. No. But just, but just, how that was described, like, in my head, I thought we spent a lot longer there, just because of the weight that it has in the rest of the book. And then when I went to reread it, it's like, oh, we're already out? We're already done? Yeah. But, yeah, I would definitely I would definitely say enough care, because part of the point is that it doesn't stop, you don't get a break, and it sucks. Right. Um, I concur. Um, right. Cosmo with with having no choice, even when presented with a choice. I think this. I think this actually was treated with care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of alluded to this a little bit in a preview in one of our in the uh, mild, moderate, severe look at this because Cosmo very, very much. This is a really horrific thing, but it's painted as just part of reality. Um, and so it is definitely one of those where the more you're aware of it and the more you're watching for it, the more horrific it is. But the author puts it in a way where this is a kid's story. And it really is. This is a book you could hand to like a younger child who just likes reading about stuff like this. Yeah, I would, um, they'd be fine. I would give it to a middle of schooler. No problem. Yeah, like full stop. Um, actually... Remind me that we should. I should mention this to our middle schooler. Oh uh, yeah, that this would be a good one. Um, our sibling. We don't have a kid. Um, <laughs> our middle school sibling. Yeah. Who um, who has not read this yet? But but definitely, I agree that it was treated with care. Um, Cosmo is a test subject. I honestly think this was treated with enough care. For the type of 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 trauma, the type of horrific thing that it is, um, I think we were given just enough examples to really highlight how bad it is. But also, part of that highlighting is giving us kind of almost innocuous examples as like, oh, we only had to do this good, this perfectly fine thing. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of the kind of the weight of how bad this is really, really comes into play when you consider the juxtaposition between the few horrors that we are given imagery for compared to the things that he considers to be nothing. 
Um, and, and I think that that's, I think that's good because I think any less and it would not have been weighty enough. Kind of a similar way with Ziploc, any less and it would not have been enough it, as a story, but I think it was fine. Yeah. All right. Moving on to our last category, point of view, point of view from, of the actual trauma and then point of view of the aftermath of the trauma. So this book is really fully, totally in third person, and it kind of jumps around a little bit. So it's interesting to kind of look at this category. It doesn't jump around for for the things we are talking about. That's true. We did pick things that are pretty mainline Cosmo. Yeah. So like point even of view, what happens to Ziploc? We're following Cosmo. That's true because that's he's true. handcuffed to Ziploc. Yeah, because he's literally stuck in there. Um. So speaking of speaking of Ziploc. Um, point of view of the trauma, we we really just get Cosmo, as we just said. Yeah. And same with the aftermath. We we get Cosmo and Cosmo's reaction to it. And even with things that are Ziploc backstory, we get Cosmo in the moment reacting to Ziploc telling the story again. Um, it's really all him. Uh, Cosmo and Paradox <laughs> of Choice. So we do get a lot of Cosmo. But we also get the supernaturalists. Yeah, we dip into them restricting each other's choices. Cosmo isn't the only one who has this problem with the paradox of choice. No. We just mostly talked about him because he's the most extreme example because he went from nothing to slightly more. And the others went <sighs> yeah. from assuming they had a choice to finding out they didn't. Right. Which is a different thing. It's a different thing. But we also do see, because it is third person, we see a little bit of the supernaturalists as they restrict Cosmo. We kind of get that lens too. Yeah. And 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 that would and that I that would be different if this was a first person book. But it's not. Cosmo is a test subject. We really, we really honestly do just get him. I don't even think there's a moment where another character even comments on Cosmo. I mean, there's, there's a little bit where Ditto is saying, like, Ditto, Ditto kind of teases Nova for, I don't even, I don't know, but he teases kind of, her about what? He teases her about, or Mona. He teases Mona. I've been saying Nova. He teases Mona about, like, Cosmo being good looking and, ooh, he saved you and that endears you to bit. But at the same time, like, he's not even really thinking about or talking about in, in dialogue about the traumas that, that Cosmo has gone through. So I, I really think this last one is we just get Cosmo. Yeah, because Ditto isn't like, hmm, he really likes you. He might have attachment disorder. Like, there's <laughs> No, a- that does not happen. Nothing <laughs> like nothing, that. There's nothing like that. All right. Moving on to... Aspiring writer tip. Aspiring writer tip. I... I... Oh, here's one. Do you uh-huh. have one already? I was gonna say, I'm a sucker for subtle world building. I liked trying <laughs> to read the books and figure out where this was set. And I finally settled on <laughs> not in Russia, but near Russia and somewhere that uses dinars now-ish. <laughs> Russia inspired. Like, I... Russia does not use dinars, so, like, it's not that, but it's... No, 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 but it's... It's near-ish. Yeah. Um, I actually... Something that stood out to me as an adult, and I don't remember if I had noticed this as a kid or not. There's no prologue. There's no setup. Mm-hmm. You just pop right into the story and it works and it's great. And <laughs> as someone who, when I'm reading a new book, I tend to get really, I don't even, I don't really, I don't, frustrated is not the right word. 
But like when I pick up a new book, I am anticipating skipping like the first 10 pages because I have to go find where the chapter one actually is. Um, Because there's always this giant about the author thing or the setup for the inspiration. And and I actually really, really appreciated that I opened this book and page one is page one. And I got right into the story. And that I, I don't know, like, because it's a book for middle schoolers, and you've been reading a lot of like deep sci-fi. But that's I do agree. True. That's true. But yeah, it's it was just very nice to be like, oh, cool. <laughs> um, and and not to say that like I don't care about all the cool author things, but I really don't care about all the cool author things. I appreciate the authors for the works that they do. And I know that those I know that those intros are useful and they're good publicity and they're good things for the authors to include. I just really enjoyed opening up to page one and being like, all right, let's go. Yeah, I like all that prologue stuff. I almost always read it. I exclusive pretty pretty exclusively skip it. Nah, I read it. The only time I don't read it is when I can tell it has spoilers and then I read it when I finish <laughs> the book. Like if they're like, it's the tenth anniversary edition. Here's all the stuff we did when writing this because we assume you've read it. I'm like, I will catch you later. See, I would watch a YouTube series if authors did that. Mm-hmm. I would totally watch if there was like a dedicated YouTube channel that tracked down authors on like their ten year anniversary of their stories and said, "Hey, tell us all the cool things." I would watch that, but I mm-hmm. don't want to read it in the book. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know why, but it just, I don't know. Um, I, I guess my tip with that is just like that. I agree that this was not a story that, that needed that. Yeah. Like if you don't have that, it's fine. And it doesn't make your, it makes your story almost more impactful because you just read. Yeah. And honestly, honestly, I think those things would be less of like something that I just feel like I have to skip if they were at the end. Especially because like you're saying with like some of them have spoilers. Mm hmm. And if you had like, okay, you've read this cool story, now you actually care about this thing, now here's your author interview, here's your here's your things that they were doing while writing it, like, put it at the back of the book. I like that. So I guess this is more of a publisher tip than it is like a an aspiring writer tip. Stop giving things that have spoilers before the story in the front yeah. of the book. Yeah. But also this one didn't, so that was exciting. Yeah, this, and that was great. And I highly appreciate that. What's your favorite non-dramatic thing about the book? Um, good Please question. don't take mine. You go first then, because I there's not a lot in this book that's not trauma. Paralegals. I love the paralegals. <laughs> that was so amazing. Does that um, not count as traumatic? <laughs> they don't have traumatic lives. They're great. They're just here wrapping up suspects and making sure people don't leave crime scenes and securing stuff for their clients. It's a good, it's a good time. I mean, I like, I, I, Hey, if, if being a paralegal meant that you got to like wear cool tech and jump around on rooftops, you would do it in a heartbeat. I I would totally do that. That would be so exciting. (laughs) You want to be SWAT team paralegal. Yes! Future, futurism, futuristic SWAT team parallel. I don't like that this is how they work, but in the story. In the story, you appreciate it. Awesome, and I really appreciate it. Non traumatic things. Also, just like the Hmm. no, why would we follow the police band? We hack the law firms. Just like that (gasps) sort of like. That was funny. 
Yeah. Because it's like, psh, police don't know what they're doing, but the lawyers, absolutely. Yeah. All um, right. I'm trying to think. I don't actually know. Okay. I don't know that this is necessarily a non-traumatic thing, but it is something that made me laugh. Uh, and to be fair, I laughed at this in middle school uh, once I found out the whole thing with the unspec for. Oh, shoot. I can't share mine because it is a spoiler. Okay. Let me, re- let me condense this to be hinty without spoilery. I like what ends up being the revelation about no oh, yeah. spec for. I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And halfway through the book, it was a funny thing in a horrific way. And by the end of the book, it was a funny thing and a legitimately amusing, oh my God, you don't even know what you're doing kind of way. And I just, I was really entertained by it when I was like 11. You've put so much work into this whole thing and, and you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I and just, then you're, and then you're it, still wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. It was just, it was just very amusing. So yeah, I guess that's, that's, there is not a lot of book that is non-traumatic. Also, like, I really enjoy this book as a whole, but I didn't, this isn't one of my, I guess this isn't one of my favorites. So I don't just have like cherry picked my favorite things, but I, I really enjoy, I really enjoy the the setup. I guess I really enjoy the setup and the world building as a whole, also. Yeah. All music used in this podcast was created by me as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. You can follow us on Twitter at Books That Burn, all one word. Email us with questions, comments, or book re- recommendations at Books That Burn at Yahoo.com. Support us on Patreon.com slash Books That Burn. All patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout-out. Leave us an iTunes review. This really helps people to find the show. And find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.